today's episode, you will hear the story of Stephanie's two children's birth. Stephanie has a very unique story in that she first became a mom when she was 19 and then went on to have her son eight years later. So what she takes us through first is the uh, birth of her daughter when she was 19. And Stephanie describes her education and the way the hospital approached her birth as being steamed roll over and treated like children. She tells us that she wasn't considered and was told that things would happen if they have to. And this was how it was going to be. Needless to say that this led to Stephanie feeling traumatized by the treatment she received from the hospital as well as the birth that she had. Um, and even though she thought that she was done with children, she found out that she was pregnant with a son when her daughter was eight. And this was both a shock and also an exciting news for her and her partner. And Stephanie takes us through um, how she broke the news to her daughter and how excited her daughter was. Um, because of the way that Stephanie's first birth unfolded, she pursued a home birth and her home birth story is empowering and healing to say the least. Um, what is extremely beautiful about it is that uh, by going through a home birth and having a private midwife and because her daughter was eight at the time and she showed interest in Stephanie's pregnancy and birth, um, she became very involved in the birth to the point that Stephanie's daughter was present at her son's birth and she was even in the pool with her holding the mirror uh, so that she could see her baby brother crowning and coming into the world. This is a very truly magical story that you will hear in this episode and I am so thankful that Stephanie chose to come on my podcast to tell that story. You are listening to Kapawa Vidula. I'm your host, Alicia, exercise physiologist and doula. And every week I chat with a mom or mom-to-be about all things pregnancy, birth and parenting. The stories you will hear in this podcast are real and sometimes raw, but they are all told without any taboo. So grab yourself a cuppa, put your earphones in, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. No worries. Um, so let's start at the beginning, even before you conceived your uh, two beautiful children. Did you always want to be a mom? I did, actually, yeah. Oh. Beautiful. I've always been really like gravitated towards like looking after children. It might be because I've got a disabled sister. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But yeah, couldn't couldn't wait to be a mum. Oh nice. Was your sister younger, older than you? Uh she's two and a half years younger than me. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Amazing. And did you so did you grow up with babies around you or not really? You had your baby sister, but not necessarily babies. I think I uh, was just surrounded by a lot of younger children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was just able to kind of play mum. 
<laughs> whether it be intentional or not. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's many ways to be maternal, right? Like you don't have to be like with babies. You can be, I guess, a role model for cousins or siblings or, or you know, maybe close friends even. So, yeah, yeah. amazing. Oh, good. Um, so I guess let's uh, let's dive into your birth story. So you've got a daughter and she's now eight. Yes, eight years old. Um, was she a planned conception? Not at all. <laughs> Not well, at, at all. least that's honest. Um, yeah, no. So um, I was actually 19 mm-hmm. when I had my daughter. I turned 20. So she was born in the February and I turned 20 in the October. Yeah. <laughs> so luckily yeah. for me, I was already – I'd gotten engaged the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then – Midway through my first year of uni, I was like, oh, I don't feel well, and found out I was 13 weeks pregnant. Oh, <laughs> so wow. I missed the whole first <laughs> oh. the whole first section. How did you find out you were pregnant? Um, it was literally I said to my partner, I was like, oh, you know. <laughs> Just quite honestly, I was like, I'm going, I have to pee all the time. Like, what is this? Like, am I okay? Maybe we should go see a doctor. And he was like, oh. Should we do a test? And we did one, and it came back like instantly. And I was like, "It says we have to wait three minutes. Like this must be wrong. We'll go see a doctor." And like I'd only just recently begun seeing this doctor, mm-hmm. and she was like, "Oh look, I don't think you are, but I'll send you for an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna see anything, you'll see like a tiny little dot. Like there won't be anything there really. Mm-hmm. You might be like four to six weeks, if anything." Mm. And no, I saw a whole baby, like hands, hands, feet, little nose, all of it. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, this is a child. So, <laughs> wow. How, um, yeah. How did you react to this? Um, I think my partner and I just kind of like were like, okay, cool. Well, this is, we knew that we'd already discussed children, that we wanted children. Yeah. We'd already discussed like, what kind of baby names we'd like. And like like I said, we got engaged to you before, so we knew that we were committed. Yeah. Um, and we were just like, okay, cool, well, we better get started, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> now I've got to tell my mum that, um, you know, I'm not a virgin. So, <laughs> And that's how she found out I was pregnant. So, <laughs> cool. Yeah. It was a interesting time. <laughs> how did your mum react, actually? Was she... Uh, I guess maybe happy and shocked at the same time. I think like just thoroughly confused. Yeah. Um, mostly. Um, there wasn't really any emotion other than just like confused for I think the first like day or two. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, because I said to her like, "Oh, come sit down." Like, I've, like because we went, I went in with the ultrasound. Like, oh, you know, I've been to a doctor. I need to show you something. And she's like, "Oh my god, she's sick." And so she <laughs> called up to my dad, and my dad instantly knew something was up. So he came in like very apprehensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mum's like, "Oh, no, like she's so sick," and I was like, "Ah, oh, kinda, I guess. Um, depends on how you want to look at it. <laughs> no, not so much anymore." <laughs> Ta-da. So, but no, but it's, they were they were happy for me after the shock wore off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Could yeah. you, um, I guess so. At the time you were pregnant with your daughter, it was two thousand and. I had her in the February of 2014, so 2013. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Couldn't do math on that one. Yeah, that's um, 
how was uh, how was the access to like you know birth education and birth classes back then? I, I'm guessing you would have had maybe the hospital ones and maybe education from your own mom as well. Um, so it was hard because my mum's not like wasn't very maternal at all. She kind of had mm-hmm. to learn to be maternal. So she was like she can't she couldn't really assist me pregnancy wise other than just being a support. Yeah. Um, so the education I did have was the limited amount that I got from the hospital and I kind mm-hmm. of took everything at face value because I was so young and they kind of were very adamant that they were like, this is what this is and this is what this is, this is what you're going to do. So mm-hmm. we did have um, classes that we could attend. I think we went to three yeah. um, that were offered, but they weren't offered until like 25 weeks yeah. onwards. So um, and realistically, probably not um, – like I can't complain because I know a lot of people, they no longer offer it or they don't have those classes to support. Yeah. But it wasn't necessarily very eye-opening back then. It was I definitely had to go and try and do lots of Googling and find mm-hmm. things out myself. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, but they, but they yeah. showed us like, you know, the epidural needles and um, the balloon thingy if you needed an induction and all that sort of thing was shown mm. in one of them. That's the one that's sticking out in my brain. I remember thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good that they showed you that because if if you've never seen it and, you know, you're in full-blown labour and you're like, oh, I want the epidural and they come out with this needle and you're like, okay, now I don't want exactly. the epidural anymore. Um, and yeah, a, lot of, that- a lot of women don't know that you have, you have that tube in your back mm-hmm. that you then have the button or whatever it is, do you know? You only get to press it once every whatever. Like you can press it as much as you want and it comes out every now and then. That's right. Um, but, like, the amount of women I spoke to, even when I was pregnant with my daughter, who I was like, oh, my God, like, I have a needle phobia. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I don't think I'm going to get it. I did, but I didn't think I was going to get it. And I'm like, and the idea that there's this tube in your back, like, this is disgusting. Is it? How is it hygienic? Like, mm-hmm. what did we do? And they were like, what do you mean tube? And I'm like, did you not? <laughs> when they brought out the needle, the second thing they brought out was a teeny tiny little thin Chubby thing, and they were like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so, yes. See, it's funny in uh, in retrospect, education. the like getting the same birth education, but women taking different, like taking different things away. So, like you obviously yes. sewed the needle and you sewed the tube, and other women might have just seen the needle and gone, "Okay, yeah, I'm not getting the epidural now." Yeah, uh, exactly. That's it. Just like shut off from that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. So, that's so funny. I think also like. <laughs> Especially because there were quite a few young mums when I was Mm -hmm. um, in those classes too. And I think because you are sitting there for like, I think it was between 20 to 30 minutes, you were getting kind of like an onslaught of information Mm -hmm. that we weren't given like printouts or brochures or any like tangible Mm -hmm. physical things to like then go, okay, I've kind of processed what I've heard, but I actually need to read it and comprehend. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And so I think it, it was hard for a lot of people being like, you can only comprehend so much at one sitting mm-hmm. without them becoming so overstimulated. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're right. And um, this is something I learned at uni actually. I think uh, if I remember it correctly, it's over like an hour of, you know, like you sitting in a lecture theatre or a tutorial, you actually retain like seven minutes of information. 
Yeah. Like that's it, yeah. right? <laughs> and you're like, but I'm here the whole time. I've been listening. You're like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, as you said, it, it's the exact same thing. It's just all this information that's dumped on you. And if if it's news, like you don't know anything, you're trying to process the vocabulary, the the new, you know, like the epidural and, and everything. And at the same that's time, it. you're trying to remember it. So you're learning and you've also got to remember, which is too hard. Obviously, you can only do one or the other at, at any given time. So that's, that's, that's it. really and then, you, hard. then you're also sitting there thinking, does this work for me? Does this work with what I think exactly. I want from my body and, and my child? And so you just have so much happening at once. So Yeah, right. So back, um, so back when you were pregnant with your daughter, uh, were you, I guess, were you given any options, like in terms of your care, or were you kind of told, well, you know, you'd birth at the hospital and you might want to do shared care with your GP and a midwife, or were you given? I any wasn't options? actually really given any alternate information. So mm-hmm. all I knew was you go to the hospital and that's where you have your child. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that some people had home births, but I yeah. didn't actually think it was something that was actually accessible to me. Yeah. So. Um, I looked up water births because I was like, I don't, like I said, I have needle phobia. So I was like, I don't particularly want to have to have this giant needle in me unless I need to. But I also know that if I stub my toe, like I'm down for the count. I've got terrible pain management. Um, So I was like, am I going to be able to handle this? Um, I have anxiety. So like, am I going to have an anxiety attack during labor? Um, And so I I looked up water births. I know Ipswich Hospital had a birth pool I don't know if they still do mm-hmm. um but they had one eight years ago and I remember saying to them like oh is this an option for me and they said mm-hmm. no you're too young this is not something that's going to be available for you and I was because like oh of okay your age. Like, I was told because of my age and oh. I thought like oh, okay like is there anything I can do to can I speak to someone mm-hmm. like can an exemption be made and I was told no this is what you need to do um and I had, like, no health concerns. My, my pregnancy with my daughter was actually really wonderful. I actually enjoyed mm-hmm. being pregnant up until about 36 weeks when you're ready for them to be yeah. out. <laughs> but, like, I had a really good pregnancy. Like I said, like, I didn't find out until I was 13 weeks. So yeah. I kind of had a pretty cruisy time. Um, but, yeah, they were to- I was told, like, nope, you're going to a hospital. You're going to have whatever pain relief you want to have, mm-hmm. probably an epidural. So I was to- I had pretty much been told by the people I was seeing at the hospital like an epidural is probably best for you because you've got no pain management skills and <sighs> that's what's going to happen when you get here mm. so, so they they knew better than you what pain relief you'd want mm, interesting yeah yeah mm-hmm. pretty much mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay um uh, sorry I'm still trying to digest the fact that you're too young for <laughs> water birth I'm 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 just trying to understand it because I just can't. Yeah. Um so outside of this yeah. this um statement that you're obviously too young for water birth, were you treated differently because you were nineteen at the time? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was steamrolled over constantly and because obviously mm-hmm. my partner um was eighteen at the time, mm-hmm. we were treated like we were children. So it was very much like you don't know what you're talking about. Your opinion mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have any have any weight. Um, one of the things I'd spoken about with them with my birth plan was mm-hmm. I do not want the use of forceps or like the suction thingy. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's not something that I want to do. Um, Mm -hmm. I've heard too many horror stories and looked at too much research that shows that it causes trauma to both bodies. Mm -hmm. And I was told, well, if your child needs to come out and and they're stuck, that is what's going to happen. And so thankfully that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, no, it was very much a you don't know what you're talking about because you're too young, rather Mm -hmm. than what can we do to educate you Mm -hmm. so that, you have the best birth possible, make our job easier, you know, because the last thing you want is someone freaking out because they're completely clueless going into everything. Mm. Then, you know, like placenta. Didn't know placenta was a thing until the day before I went into labor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because there wasn't that education. And that's right. You don't know what you don't know if you're not being told, um, you know, this is this is a baby and when you do the ultrasound you can see the placenta and this is the role of the placenta and you've got to birth it after yep. you birth the baby. If you're not told that, you, you're not going to guess it. Don't that's know. For sure. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's shocking. Like, you know, I, I, felt, I felt silly because I was like, oh, sorry, I didn't know. And they were like, how did you not know? And I'm like, I just didn't. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I'm, I'm not a unicorn. I don't know what I don't know. That's That's how it is really. Wow. That's that's really sad. I mean, that was eight years ago. Maybe things have changed now, but that's really sad that you were uh, treated differently because you were young. And I mean, you were nineteen. You were not fifteen. That to me is is different uh, in saying that some fifteen year old are very responsible. Um, But I mean, you know, once you're pregnant, what's what good is it going to do to tell a woman? Oh, look. you don't know what you're doing, uh, we'll decide for you what pain management you need and, yeah, we'll just do that regardless of what you want. That that doesn't make for yeah. a good experience and, and birth trauma, you know, arises from those situations. That's, That's it, yeah. Oh, wow. It's very much a the difference between my, my, my two births was <laughs> one I was treated like an incubator and one I was mm-hmm. treated like a birthing mother. Mm-hmm. I was treated mm-hmm. like someone who was having a child as opposed to the person housing a child, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I've heard that there have been major improvements, but I know that there were definitely – I was not the only one who was like, hey, mm-hmm. I think some things could be improved. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and see, that's really sad. But, I mean, what can you do, right? Nothing really. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Yeah, you just have to go with the flow. Yeah, look, and and I mean, I th- I think what's the hardest is even as a first time mom, regardless of your age, right? It's hard to stand up for yourself because you've never gone through. Sometimes you've never gone through pregnancy. You've never gone through labor or birth. You don't know. You know what you don't know. Um, and yeah. this, I feel like this is something I talk about in almost every single episode. The um the role and the authority that doctors have and how we perceive them as what they know better because they're doctors, same with midwives, right? They know better because they've studied that, they've done have many births, yet it's your body and you actually know if you're in pain, you actually know if it hurts, you know if baby is kicking differently, like you know those things, they don't. Yeah. so I mean that having and, to having to learn to trust your body, and then yes. being able to advocate for that yeah. was something I had to learn, and be encouraged by by my midwife this time around. She was like, "You're in charge here." Mm-hmm, She's mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, I have the training, and yes, I've had 
many, many births over many, many years, but every person's different, every body is different. And she's like, that's why I, she's, she was very much, um, her name was Trish, so Trish was very much someone who said that, you know, she was not going to cause me the same sort of, mm-hmm. like, well, birth trauma that mm-hmm. I had at the hospital. Amazing. Because yeah. that's her thing. She believes every woman should be advocating it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And see, there are midwives like Trish out there that wouldn't treat a younger mom any different to an older mom. They would just treat each mom as they come and meet them at their level and educate them on anything they want, meet them where their knowledge is and answer any questions without any judgment. And I'm sure there are that's plenty it. of them out there. So, yeah. um so how did you feel, and I guess also how did you both feel uh, about the birth as it was, you know, it was coming up soon? Did you feel scared, ready, unprepared? Um, I think my partner and I were just both really excited. Like he yeah. was, was probably more apprehensive than I was, not because he didn't want to have a child, but because he was like, we are not ready for children, even though like we're kind of like mentally ready, physically yeah. we were renting like this teeny tiny little like cottage yeah. that had been like it used to have a wraparound veranda that had mm-hmm. been built in. So our bathroom was like this tiny little corridor, like it was <laughs> this teeny tiny house and we were like, we're going to have a child here soon. Um, you know, he was working nights so like he wasn't always at home. So he was like, yeah. this is going to – like, you know, should I change jobs before bub comes or like yeah. afterwards? So, you know, he had all these questions going on whilst also being excited, whereas I think I was mostly yeah. just like, cool, I'm ready. Like just kind of fell into mum mode, I guess. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, cool. Well, what do I need to do to be as ready as I can yeah. with what limited resources I had at the time? Yeah, and see, I think that makes for a great story, you know, now eight years later where, you know, you talk about your first home being really tiny and you're like, oh, I'm not sure how that's going to work to now, you know, having a a bigger house and probably not renting anymore and it just makes for a great story at the time, I think. Unfortunately, we're still renting, but, like, we we do at least have a house. We at least have a house where, like, she has a room that she has, you know, space to put things in, not just there's a bookshelf and a cot. Like, it's actually room to have possessions and do things now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, look, and, and I mean, what do babies need anyway? They need their mom and their dad or, you know, their mom and their partner, the the, yep, the other half. Uh, and then they need food, they need to be warm, and they need the nappy changed. That's about it. That's it. Yeah. Like a really fancy house plant is how I explained it to my daughter when I was pregnant. I said, you just need to make sure that they're loved, they get mm-hmm. sunshine, they get enough mm-hmm. water or food, and that, and that they're clean. Yeah. And I'm like, Good. and then you just hope, hope they grow well. <laughs> it's like a plant. So she was it like, sounds, okay. It sounds like fancy you're growing plant. a plant at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so that's how we described it, a fancy house plant, just to help her understand, I guess, what the initial needs of a, of a child we're going to be yeah yeah and that's right that is that is the best way you could put it that is all that a newborn needs and then they need a lot of sleep you know that's that's the other thing they do um yeah perfect so um how was the days leading up to the birth did you have a spontaneous labor um so I'd gone into the hospital trying to think so I gave birth at 40 weeks plus five Mm -hmm. um 
So I think I went in at 40 weeks because they wanted me to come up for a checkup. And they went, oh, look, you're 40 weeks. We're going to give you a stretch and sweep. And I was like, oh, like, do we need to? And they're like, yes, we don't want you to go too far over 40 weeks um, because otherwise, you know, then you start looking at your baby being, you know, too cooked, I guess, so to, so to speak. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so I had not one but two stretch and sweeps. I had one on 40 weeks and one oh, on 42, uh, 40 weeks plus two days. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that must have kind of begun rushing my mm-hmm. labor. Um, yeah, because I went up on – so my daughter was born on the Sunday morning. And, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so I went up on the Saturday morning. And I was like, I'm in a lot of pain, mm-hmm. but I know that Braxton Hicks. I'm just uncomfortable. Yeah. And they were mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. We'll give you some pain medication to make you good to, like, help you sleep and then come up tomorrow morning. And so I actually didn't experience any early labor realistically mm-hmm. other than Braxton Hicks. I went up mm-hmm. at 8am on the Saturday. I had, um, they gave me two shots of morphine to my thigh and I went to sleep for a few hours and then I woke up and they were like, cool. Um, we're going to see if your waters are broke. Cause I was like, Oh, I think I'm, I think I'm weeing myself. Like I don't mm-hmm. feel right. <laughs> and they, so though, I, mean, I will never forget. There were, there were two nurses in the room and they were, betting a sandwich over whether or not my water's broken and like they're like i i bet you one subway that like <laughs> that her waters haven't broken and she's like well i raise you i raise you this and like they ended up breaking finished breaking my waters for me but i'll never forget being like guys <laughs> can you focus <laughs> like, yeah, okay. i understand you're hung- i understand you're hungry but like i'm possibly having my child here um yeah a bit of respect thank you that's it. And like they were lovely. Like I can't I can't fault them. Like I was yeah. just kinda like in this little cupboard of a room. Like literally there was a bed and a window and a door. Like that was like <laughs> it was this tiny room they'd put me into to sleep in. She's like um yeah, broke my waters and then rang my partner and we're like, Hey, we're gonna give her an epidural. Mm-hmm. So I had my had had my epidural and then they gave me gas and then I Okay. Yeah. Uh, that was at three three o'clock and then I had my daughter at one AM. Wow. I was just on my back for a few hours, just chilling. <laughs> but yeah, how did you go with any, the? Um, yeah, okay. How did you go with the epidural because you've got that phobia of needles? But I guess if you're not seeing it, does it help? Unfortunately, I'm a bit like a toddler. Actually, no, toddlers are probably more brave. Um, <laughs> I'm very much like crying in the waiting room before we've even got there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I have to say to them, like, give me warning because I might flinch. Um, mm-hmm. Like. I don't want to like hurt, like, and I do. I flinch quite violently, so I have to be like, "Ready, one, two, three, It's going into your skin," mm-hmm. um, which always amuses people who have to give me any sort of shots or blood tests because they're like, oh, "My goodness," because um, <laughs> Serene is wonderful with with needles. She'll just sit there and do what she needs to do, and I'm crying. It's not even me. So with my epidural, they had to like. Um, I think Luke was sitting on a chair in front of me, and I had, was leaning over like mm-hmm. a ball or something on the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had one nurse who was like rubbing my back and counting me down. And mm-hmm. the other nurse, well, I can't remember what the name of the person is who does a needle. Um, I can't fault them. They were like, this is what's happening now. Make sure you breathe in. If you're having a contraction, let us know. Because if you move, we can damage you. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, no, because the actual process of getting the epidural was – like not pleasant because it's a needle, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't. I think the horror story that I 
envisioned in my head that it would be kind of just getting mm-hmm. jabbed with this, <laughs> with this big needle. But mm. yeah. But see, um, was, I was, think, I guess. Um, you know, the way you're describing that you need to, you, you need warning, you need to be told the steps, you need to um, be told, you know, when they're going to do it. I feel like, you know, it's not childish in any way. I feel like it's it's good practice because, like, it's best practice for, you know, nurses, anesthesiologists, um, doctors, because some women need to be told, you know, they, they want that information and yeah. it's a way to, you know, prepare yourself, you know, whether you have phobia or you don't, you know, like if we're talking about a cesarean, uh, some women want to know, you know, when the incision is being made and when, you know, when they're cutting through the uterus and when the baby is being pulled out because that's it, it. gives them empowerment so they, they're not just that's laying it. there. Um, they feel like they are part of it and obviously they are part that's of it. it but yeah. um, some women don't want the details and that's fine. Others do because that's yeah. how they are. So I feel like that's good practice yeah. for, you know, um, medical professionals to anyway tell you and and help you through, you know, y- your phobia. And you did really well for someone who's got a phobia of needles to get an epidural that's that's really big. <laughs> I won't lie. I was very, I was very impressed with myself. <laughs> That's with my yeah, partner. Would be. I did like, like, like. I gotta say, like, I was subbing the whole time, but like, I didn't move. So doesn't matter. <laughs> that, that counts. <laughs> I yeah, feel like course. too with with epidurals and things like that. Um, even like your blood tests along the way during your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they do better when you're when you're relaxed, or at least that part of whatever body, like with your arm, try and relax that hand or whatever it is. Um, and I think giving the autonomy back to women to be like hey yeah. look this is gonna this is what's gonna happen mm-hmm. these are the steps or these are the things that would help us help you mm-hmm. and so yeah. I do find because I have to have it explained to me being that it's counting down I then have to concentrate on relaxing my muscles so that I'm not tight otherwise mm-hmm. that's when like your needles hurt more yeah because they're trying to get through everything else while you're like in the corner <laughs> so you know um yeah but like it's interesting what you said about c- uh, c-sections I've never even thought about it but you would 100% yeah. want to be part of the process rather than the process part of you. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you know, for some women it's it's getting the description of that and for others it's they they don't want to know because maybe that's too graphic for them or they just can't handle that type of information. Um, yeah. And, yeah, but, yeah, it's definitely something that is possible and, you know, I feel like it, it should be asked before the cesarean is performed. I don't know if it always is. Um, but I feel like it should be an option at least where you can say yes or no. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, 100%. Especially because it's such a scary thing, especially if it's not planned. Yeah. You can't imagine, I can't even imagine how I would have felt in that moment if they said, look, for whatever reason we're needing to take you in and do this, <laughs> like all your plans would be out the window. So I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. and All the props and- to, all, all the props to mums who, who have had to do it. Yeah, exactly. And and I think what's really, I guess, for me, the way I imagine it, um, I imagine it being scary if you're not prepared for it, because you're in this, um, I guess, colder environment with a lot more, uh, you know, nurses and, and doctors, and you've got a surgeon, you've got the anesthesiologist. Um, and there's just a lot more people in, in the room, really. And, and usually they put the drape, so you can't see. I mean, some women might want to see, others definitely don't. Um, yeah. But you just can't. And then sometimes you've got your arms, like you know, in a cross way that are um, like 
I don't want to say tied up, but they're restrained. Um, oh, really? I had no idea. Yeah, I I think, but I'm actually not sure. I need to look up why again. Um, I feel like it's got something to do with the, um, I want to say it's either like a- the epidural or sometimes they do a spinal block, but I'm actually not 100% sure if that's right. And the fact that yeah. your arms can flop, I think. Yeah. Something along those lines, but I'm actually not 100% confident in my answer. So, yeah, or like a startle reflex, maybe even. Maybe that, yeah. that would be me. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> they'd be like, woman. <laughs> so coming back to your birth, so you got the epidural, you got you initially got morphine, you got the gas, um, yeah, and then it came time to pushing. Right? How was that? Yeah interesting because my epidural worked really well i couldn't feel anything you know like they say like you know uh chest down but for whatever reason my right leg kept falling off the bed and then because you can't lift yourself it's dead weight so i was just slowly following my leg (laughs) a few times i had to kind of like put me back on the bed because i was just slowly like i can feel myself falling and i can't literally can't do anything about it um so they eventually put me like I don't know what they're called, like when they put your legs up in the metal Oh, in the thingy. stirrups. Stirrups, that's it. So they ended up doing that because my leg was just oh. flop, <laughs> flopping off the table. <laughs> um, which, like, there was a student midwife in my room, so, like, bless her. I can't remember her name, but she was lovely. Um, and I think, like, she didn't want to have to kind of, like, shove my leg back on, so she kind of kept placing it. And yeah. so I'd be like, they're like, try and push. And I'm like, I can't. I'm distracted. My leg is falling off the bed again. <laughs> So, um, but like, I couldn't feel anything. So they were like, can you push? And I'm like, I don't know if I'm pushing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if my body's pushing. I literally can't, I couldn't even feel pressure. The only pressure I felt was when Bob was like, when Serena was crowning. Um, and it was like a burning sensation. So I was like, oh, this is like that, you know, the ring of fire or whatever, whatever they call it. Um, and they said to me, you need to stop pushing. And I said, well, I don't even know if I'm pushing, so I can't stop. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't stop pushing. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, okay, you've stopped, but like she's kind of gone back in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I got an episiotomy. So oh. I remember because my eyes were closed, I wasn't asked and they didn't ask Luke, my partner. And so I had my eyes closed and I just heard this snap noise. And I opened my eyes and I looked at, I looked at Luke and I was like, what's that? And he went, nothing, sweetheart, close your eyes again. Because <laughs> like, he was like, how do you tell your partner they've just cut you with these big scissors? So I didn't actually even know until they had to sew me up afterwards that I even got an episiotomy. Um, wow. But, yeah, I had – she eventually, like, she said to me, can you push my hand out? That was the exact phrase. I will never forget it. And I remember thinking, excuse me? Um, <laughs> can I push your hand out of what? And she was like, you know, I'm putting pressure on your – in, like internal muscles around Bub's head to try and encourage you to push further. And so, yeah, Bub came out. Bub, of course, was born in meconium because it was quite a stressful labour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was immediately rushed off with Luke. They went and cleared her mm-hmm. out and then uh, gave her a bath with Luke. Mm-hmm. And so my first 15, 20 minutes of after having Serena, I was getting stitched up and didn't know my didn't know my daughter was. I was so out of it. Had mm-hmm. no idea. And then they're like, oh, that, now you got a birth placenta. So, like, that thankfully, like, I had no 
trouble. I've heard people mm-hmm. have had trouble in the past. So like within 20 minutes or so, I birthed the placenta. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, they brought my daughter back to me who, because we didn't find out the gender. Okay, <laughs> they yeah. like held her little private parts in my face and they're like, what is it? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> what What are you showing me? Like, because you know how like out of it you are after after you give birth. Yeah. Like, you've just had this massive marathon. Um, and I'd had all these sorts of medications and whatever. I was exhausted. Um, and they're like, you got a little girl, and I was like, oh, wonderful. So you know, breastfed her for the first time, and then got to stay with her from then on. But it was certainly not the the birth and labour that Luke and I envisioned. Like mm-hmm. I can't necessarily complain because I know that some people have had like people hemorrhage or like they, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these awful things that could happen or even happen to have an emergency yeah. C-section. But, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely it's a little bit of birth trauma related to, <laughs> related to Serena, but yes. thankful she's here. Yeah, no, of course. And, I mean, you Sorry. don't you don't <laughs> need <laughs> Sorry. You, you don't need to have um, – you don't need to have a really bad experience for you to say, oh, I I didn't get the birth I wanted and now I have to grieve not getting that birth, right? Because the first time you birth is obviously extremely special. It's the first time you're doing it and you don't yep. get a, a do-over, right? And that's, no, that's it. how it, it stays like in, in your head and, and that's the story of Serena being born and brought into this world, right? So, I mean, like, yes, of course you can say I'm disappointed or this is not the birth I wanted. Obviously, it's how it unfolded. Um, birth trauma, yes, I can hear that, especially in the fact that you didn't get asked if you wanted an episiotomy. It got yeah, no. I didn't even know it was you. a thing until after I had one. <laughs> I didn't know that it was an option <laughs> until I was like, so why did I get cut? And they're like, oh, well, this is something we do if we think that women's labor going on too long. So, yeah. that's I had no idea that it was even a, even a thing. And so wow. I was like, you know, my poor, poor partner, like poor Luke just being like, <laughs> and obviously because I had my eyes closed, I was trying to concentrate on, yeah, pushing through a body that had no sensation. Um, that he witnessed it and had to kind of say to me like, he knew that if I knew, I'd freak out. So he had to kind of just be like, "Don't worry about it. I'll yeah, help you with the trauma of that later." <laughs> gosh, I mean, just because you've got your eyes closed does not give permission to anyone to cut you or palpate the muscles around, you know, the internal pelvic floor muscles or any other muscles in yep. there. Uh, without asking you a question, you were not in a coma. They could have asked you, That's would it. you consent to this because blah, blah, blah. They could have That's asked. It. Well, even like because, I, like I said, I kind of been, been like semi-dictated to because of my age at the time. Mm. Even if they were like, this is important because Bob's in distress. Yep. Like I probably would have been like, okay, because yeah, that, that's A, it. I would have had no education otherwise, and B, well, this is obviously your job, so I'm going to trust you to – Mm-hmm. to the best of your ability, help my baby come into this world as safely as possible. So, yeah, but I knew none of it. No idea <laughs> until, wow. until afterwards when they were sewing me up and I was like, so why was that a thing? Like, why is this happening? And they were like, oh, well, we had to. And I ended up having like, I think, 10 people in the room or something. They had, I had a student midwife. Mm-hmm. I had like multiple, like I think I had nurses come in at one stage. There was someone in there purely to use the, 
machine that helped clean out Serena's mouth and stuff, which mm-hmm. is born a meconium. Yep. So I had like o- over my eyes just a room full of people, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, hey. wow. <laughs> when did Gosh. you get here?" <laughs> wow, that that just sounds like it does sound really traumatic. Um, and I'm just I'm really blown away by yeah the fact that they they thought they knew better than you, and to the point that they just don't even ask anything. They don't even tell you what's happening. They will just do it. And that is just yeah. not acceptable for anyone, yeah. regardless of age. Age is not even a thing. You're a human. You it can comprehend right. things. If they say, oh, we would like to do this because you can comprehend it. Your age does not even matter at this stage. And it's just it's it. outrageous to be doing that and to, I mean, I, I want to say that they've put themselves in a superior position and basically considered that they knew better than you that you know even though it's your body it's they've got control over it somehow and that they can do whatever they feel uh is right that's it yeah and it's hard to because I think it wasn't really until this pregnancy with my son that Mm -hmm. I even realized I guess like the misuse of power I guess Mm -hmm, if that's mm -hmm. the correct way to say it yeah 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 that's a good way to put it you put mm. your entire trust in health professionals because you mm-hmm. don't have the training. And I'm not mm-hmm. ever going to say like, oh, well, you know, I Googled this because mm-hmm. obviously doc- Dr. Google's not your friend. So you do put a lot of your trust into whatever they say. Um, and so in those moments, I'm like, oh, well, this must have been a thing. And it really wasn't until this pregnancy that I went, oh, yeah, that is weird that I wasn't actually – Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't consent to anything because my midwife, she was horrified. She was like, "What do you yeah. mean?" And I was like, "Oh, is this not normal?" She's like, "Ah, uh, no, honey, that's not <laughs> that's not wow. a normal thing to happen." Wow, that yeah, that just makes me. Oh, it just makes me really angry for you because ah, oh, that's just not best practice, and you. You know, doctors, yes, they've done the training. Yes, they've, you know, they've helped women birth and all of that. But they don't know better than the woman. They can say, oh, we're observing that your baby is in distress. It would be best for us to do this. Do you consent to it? And there is always time, even in an emergency, there's always time to to verbalize it and to ask. Like, I refuse to believe that... In, in an emergency, there is no time to say, we need to take you into theatre, for example, and we need to get this baby out now because the heart rate is dropping really low. You know, there's always That's time it. to verbalise it to me. And asking for consent is, it's everything. You, It's your yep. body. Like you wouldn't, you know, your GP should not and, you know, shouldn't do, uh, shouldn't touch you without, your consent, right? Let That's alone it. do any internal touches, which is extremely invasive. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So why is a midwife, doctor, nurse allowed to do it? That's That's no. it. I don't. And that's the thing, like you don't question it at the time necessarily mm. because you're like, well, why would I question? Yeah. Obviously the forefront of my brain was, oh, well, they did everything they could to keep my daughter safe. Yeah. And they did. Like, I yeah. can't fault them for that. But definitely, like, looking back, I'm like, it would have been nothing to be like, Bub's in distress, we're doing yeah. this. Yeah, like, that's right. And I would have been right. like, 
cool. Even just to say it to Luke. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Even mm-hmm. though like, that's Oof. still not speaking to me, it's at least giving a power to the to the to the parents of, of mm-hmm. this child. Of course, yeah. And he wasn't asked at all either. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and see, I did a I, I did a really powerful episode on the non-respect of consent. And you know, you have a voice; it's your body, and you know better than anyone. And like, obviously, you don't know what you don't know, and also, what you're living is your reality. So you don't know that that's this fair. is not everyone's reality, and that's really hard. And that's why, you know, you, as you said, you you thought, well, you know, they did everything they can. The doctors, they're here to help me. You know, my baby was delivered safely. Yes, however, you can still say, look, I I can't fault them for what they for the fact that they brought my daughter into the world safely. However, That's I can it. say that they didn't ask for consent and they performed a medical procedure without me knowing and without That's anyone it. knowing what was happening and that's not normal. That's it. It's like it's not even saying it's against your will because you have no idea it's even happening. Mm-hmm. So, but I think it comes down to, uh, you and I discussed this a bit earlier, that like sexual education, consent yeah. is a massive part of sex education yeah. and it's so poor, especially like, like I want to say, like especially in Queensland, it's really, really poor the way that they do sex education and actually being able to discuss like consent in any situation mm-hmm. is so important that it comes down to not only obviously during sexual encounters or during intimacy, but in all aspects of life. And yeah. so I think that relates to that as well because that then you know you you don't know that you, that you can say no or that you can yeah. say. I'd, I want more information on this. Yeah, exactly, so. exactly. And something I was talking about in a previous episode was the acronym BRAIN, which is really relevant to any procedures, pregnancy, any any surgical intervention, anything in life. And so BRAIN stands for uh, benefits, risk, um, alternatives, intuition, and nothing. So it's basically asking I have heard what this. Are the- Trish spoke to me about it. Oh, amazing. Oh, my amazing. midwife. Oh, see, she's good. That's yeah. great. You know? She's wonderful. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just like, I heard this, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. exactly. So it's it's asking, um, oh, you rec- you know, a doctor recommends an intervention, for example. So it's saying, okay, what are the benefits of doing this? What are the potential risks? Uh, and then thinking to yourself, what is my intuition telling me? Do I, do I want to have this intervention or do I feel like, no, actually, I don't really want this? Um, asking the, the doctor if there is any other options, because usually there is, but they will go to, sometimes they will go to the most direct thing or they will try and get what they want. Uh, and then also asking, and I think that's a really important question, asking what happens if I do nothing? What happens if I don't yes. get this intervention? And I think that's a really powerful question, especially, you know, in, in this space we're talking about where we're talking about pregnancy, but we're also talking about when baby's born and, for example, the doctor says, oh, we need to do uh, this, I don't know, test intervention to your baby because blah, blah, blah. Great to ask those questions. And just – That's it. Yeah, and, and it's not um, it's not anything uh, – like you're not questioning their authority, Sorry. you're just trying to be as informed as you can so that you understand what's being done either to you or to your baby and you can make an informed decision because informed decision and informed consent 
implies that you you know what the intervention is, you know what the risks are, and you understand uh, what could be done instead of it, and you also know what could happen if you don't do this, and therefore you make a decision for yourself because you have all the pieces of the puzzles. That's it, 100%. And I think that it needs to be something that's more recognised, that you're allowed to have those discussions regardless of your gender, your culture, your age, your sexuality, anything, because... I think a lot of people think, I mean, and I'm speaking generalised here, but a lot of the women that I know who have had children have been like, we wish that we knew that we could have said, actually, I don't want to do this. Like myself being able to say, I don't want to stretch and sweep, let alone two. Like being able to say like, that's not actually something that I think that I want or need. Um, And that if that's something that I wanted, that I can then discuss it with them at, at a separate time or whatever else yeah exactly and see that's something I'm hearing a lot the fact that women don't know they can say no or they can for example if we're talking about an an induction and for example inductions have you know a a place obviously uh, but sometimes you're just not ready so the doctor says oh we will we will do an induction at 41 plus 3 and when you reach that date, you go, actually, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm, I'm just not in that space. I, you know, I don't feel like having one Well, you can say that you can say, look, at this point, I'm not feeling ready. Can we push it out? And, exactly. and you have yeah. a right to decline an induction regardless anyway. Um, I mean, the hospital sometimes doesn't like it, but they can't force you to have an induction. They can't. Uh, I I had a guest just before said they're not going to bring the police to your house if you don't show up for an induction. And that's right. Yeah, that's it, yeah. What are they going to do? Um, yeah, you you know, and it's it's something as you said, we're not being told that we're. It's good to question, but we just don't know that we can. And that's that's something that's really sad in today's society. It's yeah, I don't I think. I, I think pe- people fear being com- combative rather yeah, mm-hmm. than question- rather than questioning and inquisitive. That's right. I think you've put it beautifully, actually. I didn't know how to put it. So, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is because you can question in basically for you to be educated, for you to understand without being rebellious or trying to fight the system. You know, you're just trying to yeah. do what's best for you and especially when you're pregnant and, you know, you're growing – another human being it's you, you want to know what's going to happen to you but also what's going to happen to the baby you know um you've got you've got a lot of decisions to make and yeah it's about knowing what is best for you and understanding it so you can make the best decision that is suited to you to your circumstances that's it to your child yeah. every child's different too exactly that's right so. that is right so how was um so after this birth, how was your postpartum journey? So you started breastfeeding straight away. Um, how did yeah, it all I was go? Really, I was very lucky that my breastfeeding journey with my daughter was really easy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she did the whole little crawl down, <laughs> and then she just attached ever since. Um, <laughs> she was she was she was great. Like she was able to. I didn't have any issues with um latching yeah. or anything like that. I was quite lucky in the sense that. Um, a friend of mine at the time, her mum uh, was a lactation consultant. Yeah. So um, I was able to say to her, hey, can I get you to come over and just double check that oh, amazing. everything's all good? And she was like, no, nope, you're natural. And I was like, fabulous, awesome. 
and was able to kind of go through that. Um, and Luke was able to stay home with me, I think, for the first week um, mm-hmm. so that we could get into the routine of, obviously, I wasn't, I had uh, stitches. So, like, adjusting yeah. to being like, obviously, you're a bit sore after birth, naturally, usually. But having any, like, tears or stitches or anything like that, it's a little extra added bit of like, I'll go try and get out of bed and I hurt. So yeah. mm-hmm. um, adjusting to all of that. But um, of course I was quite lucky in the sense that I didn't really, um, I'm trying to think of how to word it, like the baby blues, I was warned like baby blues are going to get you, like they come out day, day, like day three. Day three is when you get your baby blues, uh, blues because that's when your milk comes in, it's when your hormones change. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I had quite bad anxiety at the, um, mm-hmm. back then. And so I was told, like, you really need to be 110% mm-hmm. on top of this. And I was like, yep, cool. And then nothing happened. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness. And then I had such mad anxiety waiting for me to oh. lose it, <laughs> waiting oh, no. for the sadness to hit. And it wasn't until I think Serena was, like, three weeks old was my first day of, like, I'm overwhelmed and sleep deprived and I cried. And I was like, oh, the baby blues have hit. Now I'm okay. And my my mum had to be like, no, you're just tired. It's okay. (laughs) Like, you're okay, honey. Like, it's all good. But um, I was actually very lucky with Serena that, like, postpartum journey for her was actually quite, like, I healed quite well quite quickly and kind of adjusted into my new routine quite quickly, which I know can be quite difficult for some. So... Yeah, amazing. And and I I mean, you know, the the baby blues doesn't get everyone, so to speak. Yes. Um, <laughs> um there are some I guess to to word it a little bit differently, there are some risk factors that may make some people more prone to getting it, and it's good to yes. be aware like you were. But I mean, yes. in your case it sounds like you were basically told you were going to get it, so therefore you're yes. you're <laughs> waiting for it, which is creating more anxiety than then being aware and keeping an eye out for potential signs. So, um, that's yeah. it. Oh, and wow, like, that's... I think because my mum had postnatal depression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, like she wasn't very maternal. So, like, and my birth, well, like me, but my mum, uh, wasn't the smoothest for her. Okay. And yeah. so I think I was waiting for, okay, well, I know that quite often it can be a. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a, like a genetic thing that you're more susceptible to these mm-hmm. emotions yeah. or to, or to the, to these situations. But I was very blessed in the sense that I didn't have to do that. But I was also lucky in the sense that Luke kept like he had researched what does this look like and what would I need to do or who would I need to speak to if this is something that I begin to recognize is happening. Yeah. So I see that. I that's very, amazing. I was very lucky. Yeah, and see, that's amazing that your your partner was being proactive and he was very involved in this because um, yes. one, I think one of the hardest things with baby blues is when you're in it, it's hard to see that you're having it. It can be difficult to recognise that you're having those feelings, but having someone from the outside, whether, you know, that's a midwife or, you know, your partner, they can actually kind of see, oh, you, you're just not quite yourself. Um, and That's this it. could be the start off and then therefore flag it, you know, to you or flag it to maybe a midwife if you're seeing one, you know, in the first six weeks and say, oh, I think this is happening. What can I do? So that's that's, that's amazing. It. And learning that self-fulfilling prophecies are like, you know, like um, 
saying like, oh, well, I'm a terrible mother. That means if anything bad is to happen, you're like, oh, well, see, I knew that was going to happen. Mm. And so being able to go, nobody, regardless of, obviously I've had Serena and then I've just had my son, you learn it all over again, whole different child, whole different, whole different exactly. you. And so no, like, no matter what, you're going to make mistakes, I guess, in your mm-hmm. own mind and learning that, you know, it's, it's an adjustment to caring for another human being. It's not like you just of go, oh, I've carried I've carried you, I've birthed you, and now I'm I'm, I'm amazing. You are amazing, but it's going to yeah. be overwhelming. <laughs> so yeah, of course. being able to recognize that. Yeah, exactly. And it's overwhelming for you as a mom, for for the the partner, the dad, the other mom. Um, it's it's overwhelming for you two as as a couple to try and find, you know, your I guess your your position, your your spot, you know, to try and find this place. Um That's it. it's overwhelming. You know, there's obviously sleep deprivation does not help at any point. That's it's it. really difficult on everyone. And yeah, it's a it's a transition. And even when, you know, you've been a mom to Serena and then you welcome your son, that's a new transition because obviously your routine's gonna be different. You have that's a new it. person in the family, everything changes. Of course, it's all it's all learning and that's for everyone. Everyone needs to learn that's to it. Um, you know, welcome this new member in the family and find a routine and find what what works for them as as a family. What works for every individual person within the family unit. It's yeah, that's it. It's, an, it's a learning curve. That's it. And I think everyone needs to know whether it's your first baby or your fifth baby. It's going to be an adventure. <laughs> it's going to be an adventure. Yep, it will be. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's um there's eight years between your daughter and your son. Is that right? Yes. Yep. So, so was uh, was your son's conception um planned? No, <laughs> I'd actually had a a half a year off from work due to illness, and mm-hmm. um yeah, it was. I, I was actually last Christmas. I was sitting there, and I'd um. I'd had one cruiser. I'd had a pineapple cruiser, and I thought, "Oh, that doesn't feel right." And I'm like, mm-hmm. "No, I don't, I don't drink often anyway." Yeah. But I thought, "Oh, a cruiser's like realistically nothing. I shouldn't be feeling ill." And I was like, "This is weird." And so I'd mention it to Luke, and he was like, "Oh, well, Christmas is stressful. Like, you, you don't really cope at Christmas. Like, we'll, we'll we'll see what's happening." And then I said to him on the 27th, I was like, "Oh, actually, I actually haven't had my period for a while." This is weird. And he's like, oh, well, you know that they're a bit chop and changey, but I'll go <laughs> grab a test anyway. He's like, let's just yep. get a test. We'll check it out. And I was like, well, what happens if it's, if it's positive? And he was like, then we have another baby. Okay. Like, <laughs> he was just like, and? <laughs> like, why is there a question mark? Um, yeah. And so we found out, yeah, on the 28th that, that we were expecting. And um, we were like, okay, cool. Well, this obviously isn't 13 weeks because it wasn't an instantaneous with the wait for a result. Okay. So <laughs> it was a whole different experience of actually being like, oh, I actually have to go to the doctor and they do a like a pee test for you and then go get an ultrasound and go get blood tests. Like yeah. we missed all of that the first time around. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a very different experience. I actually experienced what most people experience with their mm-hmm. pregnancies. Yeah, not skipping so, the first trimester, but, I mean, it's got yeah. its perks, obviously, but, yeah, it's good to yeah, know well, as well. I, I think it was going to be – I wouldn't have been able to ignore it because I had such bad morning sickness up until, oh. like, 18 up until like eighteen weeks. 
I was so sick. Oh. <laughs> I'm so glad I wasn't working because I would have had to stop working. Like I was so oh. ill. Um, and I was just like, how can you be so grateful for like this little life and at the same time be like, I can't go. <laughs> like, I just want to sit down and eat dinner. Like I lived on oh. hydrolite ice blocks pretty much and oh. like crackers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because otherwise I'd be like – Nope, there's, there's nothing in me. <laughs> oh, that's difficult. No. Yeah. Oh. But wow. No, so, very lucky. Um, so you were so you were early, right? When you found out about your son. Um, yeah, about four, three or four weeks. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. How, so really how did early. you feel? Obviously, your partner was really on board with having a, a second child. Yeah. What about you? I was really excited, apprehensive but excited. I think because yeah. I was apprehensive in the sense that I was like, oh, my goodness, it's eight years difference. Yeah. How is this going to affect my daughter? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, we had been saying since my daughter, like, we'd love to have another child, but we don't think it's ever going to happen, um, mm-hmm. whether it be for financial reasons or for other personal reasons or whatever. Yeah. Um, we didn't think it was going to happen. Um, yeah. and, I'd, and I'd been off contraception for, like, almost two years, maybe three years. So we were like, well, obviously it's just not happening. And, like, that's yeah. fine. We kind of had accepted that we might foster one day or we might get a cat, you know, <laughs> like another cat. Yeah, if yeah, all I feel. Uh, um, you know, two very different things. But, you know, like the idea that it's like, you know, if I felt like I needed to, you know, fulfill anything that there were options yeah. out there. And so finding out I was pregnant, I was, like, very, very excited. Um, yeah. But then also just, like, well, this is going to be such a different adventure because I didn't know anybody else who had a massive age gap between their children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, wow. so some of them would have like maybe like three or four years, but yeah, definitely not 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 eight. <laughs> yeah, that's not common. But I mean, it doesn't no. mean it's not doable, right? Obviously, obviously you're no, doing it. it. So yeah, yeah. Wow. So um, when did you tell your daughter? Like, how far along were you? Um, I was ten weeks. So, and how did she take it, react? She'd been asking for the last three Christmases for a sibling. So on her right. Christmas list, she'd write down a brother or a sister. Mm-hmm. And then she learned the word sibling. And so, like, the Christmas that, like, we, that had just gone, she'd written down sibling. And, I, and I'd had to explain to her without going into specifics because she's eight. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there's a process here that's not quite like just going to the mall and being like, that looks like a good baby. Mm-hmm. Um, like, <laughs> I see. We had to kind of had to kind of explain, like, it's something that, like, my health would have to be in a good place in order for mm-hmm. my body to be able to carry a baby and it's a lot of processes. Mm-hmm. And she was kind of yeah. like, oh, okay, and kind of accepted it at face value. Yeah. So, <laughs> thankfully. Thankfully, she didn't ask any other deeper questions. Um, so, yeah, so we told her at 10 weeks, we bought three little picture frames. We had a picture of herself, um, mm-hmm. just, like, We'd gone to the sunflower fields. Um, so oh, yeah. we put a picture of her there. And she would say, Oh, this is beautiful. Like, you can put it up in your room. And she was, and the frames kind of went inside of each other. There were three of them. Mm-hmm. And so we had the big one on top. So when she lifted it, it was herself. And she was like, Oh, this is so cute. And she's like, Oh, there's another one. And she picked it up and she was like, Oh, it's us three. I love us. And she's like, Picked up the, the third one. And I think she was expecting it to be like of our pets. We have a dog and a cat. Yeah. And she's flipped it over and she was like, what is this? It was an ultrasound of this little tiny, yeah. you know, bean. <laughs> and she's looking at it and she's looked at us and she's looking at it and she's like, this looks like from Operation Ouch. It's like a medical show for kids. And she's like, they had a baby 
and that's what that looks like. And I was oh. like, oh, what would happen if it was a baby? And, like, we'd already kind of been hinting at her for a few weeks, like, hey, what would – you know, you keep asking for a sibling, what would happen if you had one? Mm-hmm. What would that look like? How What would that feel like? Kind of, like, prepping her for, like, oh, God, how is she going to react? Mm-hmm. Um, and she was ecstatic. She was beyond oh. happy. And the poor thing had to keep it a secret because we didn't tell anyone until I was, like, 18, 19 weeks. So- oh, a long time. <laughs> it was a long time. An eight-year-old. So- Yes, so she had one friend who knew because yeah. her best friend, her mum, uh, was two weeks behind me. So she found oh, out she was right. pregnant not long after I did, and she's eight as well. So they were able to have oh, a little bond, go. although like her friend, her friend has a younger sister as well. But they yeah. were able to have that bond of, oh my goodness, our mums are pregnant at the same time. So she That's had one amazing. person who knew. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that that is um I love the way you you prepared her. That is so it's so, you know, gentle and it's like just instead of, you know, suddenly uh telling her that you're pregnant, you you just hinted at it. You kind of like I guess take touch to see if, you know, she she would be how like, she'd feel. That's it. Yeah, how oh, she'd it's feel. Cuz it's it's hard being that she was obviously an only child for 8 years. Yeah. So she has had all of our attention. Mm-hmm. And like, That's right. Not that she wouldn't cope not having it, but being able to be like, oh, well, I know you've been asking for this, but mm-hmm. are you prepared for what that reality is? Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. And also, like, you know, you see all these beautiful videos of people, like, surprising their kids um, of, like, oh, you know, there's a shirt that says Big Sister and the kids are loving it. And then you've got other ones where the kids lose it and they're just, yeah. they're, not, they're not prepared, taken by surprise and, you know, you just watch them freak out. And I was like, I do not want that to happen to Serena <laughs> she's yeah. quite a sensitive She's, like, very emotionally intelligent, but she's very, very sensitive. Yeah. And so I was like, let's give her the warnings of planting the seeds so she can think about it, which meant that she would come up to us periodically and be like, oh, would this happen like this? Or mm-hmm. if I had a sibling, would this happen? What mm-hmm. would happen to me? Would I have to share my room? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yes. little things that, like, yeah. helping her, like, you know, little eight-year-old brain comprehend and kind of mold to the fact that this might be something that might happen because mum's talking about it yeah but she just talked to it like a duck on water she was so lucky (laughs) that's beautiful and and you know you you know her better than anyone obviously same as luke obviously um yeah and yeah that's that's just such a beautiful way and and the um what you've just said as well is such for anyone listening who, you know, may have uh, a child who is, you know, older and, you know, may be thinking about adding an, a new baby to the family, it's invaluable yeah. advice to just, you know, the, the way you went about it, which, as you said, could be different from, you know, other parents, but every parent knows their child and they would know what that's is the it, best way to, handle. you know, pre- yeah. <laughs> prepare them. Exactly. And, yeah, that's invaluable just insight into it. That's that's amazing. So, um, so then, how did you go about this birth, and how did you prepare for this new birth, knowing what happened during the birth of Serena? So it was interesting. The sense that, like, I had always said to Luke, like, oh, you know, um, I'd actually gone and met with the New Life New Life Midwifery, which is the company I went through with my son. Um, I actually met them when I was pregnant with my daughter. And okay. Yeah, that it just wasn't financially anywhere near a 
possible for us. Like yeah. even if we got a loan, it kind of, you know, it was it wasn't going to be something that was possible for us at the yeah. time. And so I remember being so devastated then after Serena was born, being like, I wish we'd had the money. I wonder how it would have gone. Yeah. And so I mm-hmm. said to him, well, you know, if we had the money or if we could find a way to have the money, um, even if it were a payment plan, could we look into a home birth? Because mm-hmm. there's now a lot of trauma connected to the hospital. Yeah. Um, I've also got PTSD from a, uh, an, an injury at work. And mm-hmm. so I was like, the hospital doesn't have a lot of nice memories and feelings for me. It causes a lot mm-hmm. of anxiety. And obviously the experiences with Serena, Serena knows about that. Like, mm-hmm. not that, she, like, and we've always said to her, like, it's not her fault. Like, we don't regret having her, like, yeah. we, because she wanted to know about her birth. Okay, um, yeah. But that she knew that it wasn't particularly an, an enjoyable experience for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so we were still talking about, like, do we look into a home birth? Do we go to the hospital? Mm-hmm. What should we do? And I'd actually called and they said, we have no availability. <laughs> and I was like, cool. Okay. okay what do I do? I went to my GP and I went like, I don't want to birth at the same hospital. Mm-hmm. Can I go through Martin Mothers? Can I go through, I'll go, I'll drive to Logan. I don't care. Like I'll go somewhere. And um, he went, no, because of COVID, they've become really strict with their catchments. So your yep. hospital, is a hospital, you have no choice. It's that or you pay to go to a private hospital. And I was Gosh. like, I don't have private health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't afford to just, pay how yeah. much money it is out of pocket to go to a private hospital. Mm-hmm. And even then, I wouldn't have the same midwife or OBGYN or whatever it is at a hospital could it still run like a normal hospital whereas you'd have your um, like shift workers or they might mm-hmm. be on holiday or whatever. Yeah. And so we were like, right, what do we do? <laughs> mm, exactly, <laughs> just what like, do you do? Just panicked a little bit. Um, <laughs> and I rang again and I was like, look, is there a chance I can even just come in and chat to you and if anything happens, like if it's a cancellation or you can kind of like squeeze me in for that month that at least you know who I am and I can just like I'll pay booking fees then and there. Like I'm I'm ready if we, if we mm-hmm. match, if we're compatible. And they were like, oh, look, we can, you can come in on a Tuesday afternoon. I was like, done. And on the Tuesday morning I had a hospital appointment. And I was mm-hmm. like, cool, this is my first time in with the hospital. I might actually go up there and they're lovely. It's been eight years. People change, policies mm-hmm. change, experiences change. Um, I know that a lot of people put in complaints from around the time that my daughter was born. Mm-hmm. Of, like maybe feedback's been taken on board. And I was greeted with, my goodness, you're a bit obese. <laughs> and I was like, oh, mm. they have not changed. Yeah, no, they were like, Gosh. what's your BMI? And I was like, you haven't even asked me how many weeks I am. Mm-hmm. You haven't, like, you've got, like, yeah, they have my file. But there's no, like, how's your pregnancy been? Mm-hmm. how are you feeling today like nothing it was straight away I was 24 weeks and um they said oh well maybe we should discuss because you're so large um a c-section and I remember just sitting there looking at this woman in pure shock and mm-hmm. thinking I must be mishearing things like maybe I'm imagining <laughs> a conversation right now because this can't be happening mm-hmm. and I remember being like I'm so sorry to be rude but excuse me, <laughs> I beg your pardon, what are you saying to me? And she was like, oh, well, because, like, you know, your BMI, you're quite you're quite overweight. And I'm like, I, I've just seen my GP who said that I'm fine. I'm a curvy woman. I've got quite large breasts. I'm a double K. So none of that's taken into consideration when you've got a mm-hmm. BMI. Like, I'm, you know, 
they're like three kilos each up here. So, <laughs> you know, I'm like, sorry, <laughs> you know, I'm like, so like, I was just in shock and I'm like, you know, yeah. I'm thinner than what I was when I had my daughter and my BMI was not brought up once. And so I'm like, is it because I'm eight years older? Like, is that what's happening? What? Like, and I just sat there and I remember like basically tuning out of half the, half the appointment yeah. thinking, uh-huh. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not birthing here. Mm-hmm. I cannot mm-hmm. trust you to keep mm-hmm. myself safe and my daughter safe. Obviously, mm-hmm. the interest of us just isn't here. Mm-hmm. And I tried to like imagine that, you know, the waiting room was very full. I'm like, maybe she's just trying to get to the point because the poor thing's exhausted. Mm-hmm. But there's only so many excuses you can make before being like, yeah. excuse me, that really hurt my feelings. <laughs> like, I'm 24 weeks. Like, it's not mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. there's anything right now that you should be worrying about. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd only, I'd only just gone and got, like, the, the scan, like, the dating scan or whatever. It's like the 20-week the scan where you look at everything mm-hmm. yeah. health-wise. Like, I've only just got the results back from that. Like, how are you discussing birth yeah. when you haven't even discussed my health? Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I love, that went to mid- yeah. sorry, I just wanted to interrupt oh, and say, I love the way that you apologize to tell her that she was being rude. Like, can we yeah. just point that out? Because really she was being rude to you and there's no need to apologize at this point. Um, yeah, and being judged on your size for and making that a reason for C-section. I mean, yeah. That's interesting because the first time around it was you couldn't have a water birth because of your age and now you can only have a C-section because of your size. Um, Yep. Hmm. And that's why I I tried to – the reason I apologised because I thought, well, maybe I'm just overreacting. Like maybe I've misheard her. (laughs) Maybe she's having a bad day. I was like, well, maybe this is what, like, we need to discuss. Like, but I was like, but I'm like – excuse me <laughs> like yeah. i'm barely holding it together here because i'm like so sick with morning like i've only just become, become free of morning sickness to be able to leave the house <laughs> and this is the conversations i'm having wow. and then the total contrast of i went to the midwife that afternoon and met trish yeah. and i said to her look i'm so sorry but this has just happened and she got up and left the room for a minute and i remember thinking like oh where's she going and she came back with a glass of water and she goes are you okay like are you all right because she's like mm-hmm. i'm sorry I'm mm-hmm. not okay on your behalf. I'm mm-hmm. disgusted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the receptionist came in at that time to like hand off some paperwork and had overheard that last bit of the conversation. And she's like, that is not okay. And I'm mm-hmm. really sorry that happened to you. And if we can't take you, I want you to know that wherever you go, do not accept that treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I knew just and that. See, that's I was beautiful. Like, yep. I will fight tooth and nail to be able to come here because you guys have treated me with so much respect. In the wow. first 10 minutes of me meeting you. Wow. Yeah. And luckily they had one spot. Someone had just cancelled and I was like, I'll pay booking today. <laughs> I'm coming here. We'll find a way to wow. pay. Wow. So, oh, that's amazing. I just love the, fate. you know, the circumstances and it's like, oh, yes, we do have a spot now. And it's like, yep. oh, yes. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Because I didn't realise how many like women that they take on for each month mm-hmm. and obviously like it's not something that obviously I would think about because I'm not in the medical field yeah. and like putting it into perspective Trish had eight I think she said like seven or eight kids within a two-week period and yeah so, that's like, right that's that's insane she would just come she'd come to like like she came to like 
uh, the, the few appointments after River was born. I sat on my lounge looking just knackered, but she was there because she wanted to be there to check on us. And I was like, you can go home. It's okay. <laughs> like, I'm all right. Like, look after you. <laughs> that's like, insane. Yeah. Oh, wow. And and that's the thing with, you know, private midwives is I, I, I feel like that's a generalisation, obviously. They've got such a big heart and they probably just want to take on everyone, right? But, I mean, there's a point where yeah. – they probably can't because then things like back to back birth happen and they're only human. They, yes. You know, they have <laughs> to it. cope with the tiredness and the exhaustion and the mental load that is, you know, birth that we don't realize because we're not medically trained and we're not, you know, they're That's looking it. out for you. They're looking out for anything that, you know, could happen. Um, and they're also obviously, they're, they're very like alert. They have to be alert. Right. And so, the, the mental That's exhaustion it. from from birth through from the perspective of, of those midwives is is crazy. Wow, That's the it. work That's they the do is incredible. Yeah, Just it's incredible, it's underrated it? as well. I I, I want to say a midwife, you know, regardless yes. of whether they're private or they they work in the public hospital system, they are underrated. I think it's a profession that is underrated yeah. and they're not appreciated for the you know, 100%. For, for their right value and for you know the work and the you know the involvement they have and the compassion they have for women that's it and also because the fact that you don't always know that they're advocating for you yeah. behind the scenes yeah and so right. like for myself like I had the hospital consistently making appointments and being like you need to come to this you need to come to this and I'd say, I'd already run the hospital and said I'm going for a private midwife mm-hmm. um I'm going through all my appointments from a doctor or my midwife I'm having yep. nothing to do with the hospital if you feel like you have to have something to do with me you can ring me at like 38 weeks and check on me see <laughs> I'm going um but otherwise I don't want to have to have these conversations I don't feel respected or appreciate uh, or like uh not appreciated that's the wrong word like uh like I just didn't feel safe there I was like this is yeah. gonna- mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's not you, it's me. Like, you know, it's not going to work between us. And yeah. um, <laughs> unbeknownst to me, they were, like, contacting my midwife and contacting the the clinic. And they were behind the scenes advocating for me to say, this is her choice. She's safe. Yeah. She's healthy. She's doing everything she should. Like, if you're needing reports for whatever reason, like, mm-hmm. these are her reports or, like, for what, like, with consent, like, can I can they send X, Y, Z or whatever mm-hmm. they need if mm-hmm. they needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, like all of that behind the scenes, which doesn't it, – it's not necessarily a job they have to do. They could just no, be like, hey, that's the, right. the, the hospital's calling. Instead, mm-hmm. they were like, we know this is going to stress out Steph. Let's call on her behalf and advocate for her to be safe wow. and respected. So, Do you know I've never heard of a hospital like ringing up your private midwife or, you know, like constantly demanding that you come to appointments and you you come do this when you've obviously not chosen them as a model of care. You've probably booked there in case of or maybe you've booked at a different hospital. But when your primary model of care is, you know, a private midwife, then obviously that private midwife is you know, is taking on your care. She's taking on, you know, anything that needs to be done. So the hospital doesn't need to be involved at this point. That's it. And I have no idea why. I don't know if it was because they were like, oh, she's birthed through here before um, or what. I don't know if it's because they have on file that, like, um, that I've got PTSD because I've obviously been to the hospital with those sort of things. I'm like, maybe it's because that's on file. And they're like, is she good? But... um, (laughs) Yeah, the harassment of it and being like, I decided ignoring them. 
because I was like, well, you can waste your time. That's, a, that's okay because um, I don't have to participate in whatever game you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, definitely didn't have to be something that they looked after me for considering that, you know, you got to think about the fact that they have children of their own, they have families, they have, mm-hmm. you know, some of them do things on the side or like mm-hmm. aren't just a private midwife. They might also be a lactation consultant or yeah. whatever else. And then they've also got to have time for their own personal life as well as mm. all these women. And mm-hmm. Trish would give me, obviously I had a private number. So if I ever needed her, she was like, call me, shoot me a text message. I will get back mm. to you when I can. Mm. And she would have even like an appointment. She'd be like, oh, my, that's my phone vibrating. Don't mind that. It's another mum. She's having a moment. Like if she was just like, you know, always, always on call, I guess. Yeah. And you just think about the mental exhaustion that must have. Yeah, that's right. And yet right. she loved it. That's right. And, yeah, like that's that's exactly how it is. And I'm finding that midwives, you know, are they will go above and beyond, right, like, like you know Trish did for you she's like I'm always here for you and like they don't have to you know she's obviously chosen to but she's you know that's her personality that's how she is right and she's just going above and beyond because that's how she is and that's just that's beautiful for you know the woman that they care for like you because you just get such a VIP experience compared to obviously your first birth and you just you know you're you're heard and you're you'd listen to and they obviously care a lot about you and that's just amazing the job they do is it's amazing it's it's hard it, to be it midwife. Is. it's not easy and they just you know they're exhausted and they come to work with a smile and they're like yeah let's that's do it. this and you have no idea how exhausted they are until they're like oh don't mind me if I forget things I've just been at a birth all night and you're like why are you here <laughs> They're like, exactly. well, you've got your appointment today. I can't not be here. And I'm like, oh, I would have understood. They're like, well, no, that's our job. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. It's that's awesome. Yeah, that is. Like, yeah. Wow. So and obviously, I think that's so the you... difference being woman first. That that's was what right. Trish said. Woman first. Yeah. Wow. So beautiful. That is so beautiful. So obviously, you connected really well with Trish. Um, yes. Yeah. How how did you prepare for this birth? You know, with with Trish, did she did she help you? Did she uh, give you some, I guess, education? How was that? Yeah. So, any question I had, I could go yeah. to her with. And the thing is that we took Serena to a lot of midwife appointments if mm-hmm. it was possible, and she answered any and all questions Serena had, Amazing. anything at all, because um, because Serena w- wanted to be a part of it, and she was. Yeah. Um. And so even, like, silly things about being like, oh, you know, I've heard stories that some some women, you know, poo during labour. If it's a thing at home, like, what do you do? She's like, you just sort it. It'd be done. Like, what are you worrying about? I was like, oh, okay. Um, But they also had resources on hand. So they were like, hey, what works best for you? Podcasts? Do do you prefer books? Do you prefer audio books? Do you prefer trying to see, um, like, paying to go to classes? And they would Mm -hmm. give you all the resources you want. So I read Gentle Mothering. I read mm-hmm. uh, three or four other books. Um, and a lot of them, Trish was like, I think this chapter might work for Luke. So do you want to give make sure Luke has a look at this chapter to try and ensure that Luke has support yeah. and any questions Luke had, she was willing to answer. Um, they also had birth prep through the midwives. So mm-hmm. every second Wednesday there'd be some sort of topic yeah. and – at any stage of your pregnancy, even if you were, 
you know, in labour that day. If you wanted to go to class, you could. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were all sorts of things from perennial massage to, you know, to to lactating, to expressing, to um, what does different labour look like? Like what different labouring positions? Like there was just so much information available to the point that sometimes it was too much and you were like I'm not coming this week could I just need to lie down (laughs) but like they would always have things available and if I was worried about certain things she would find journal articles or research to Mm -hmm. give me to investigate myself Mm -hmm. amazing and was very much like these are your your decisions these are your choices because like oh what do you think about this and she's like I can't choose that for you This is my thoughts, but what works best for you, your body, for Luke, for Serena, will depend on your 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 dynamic. So, chalk and cheese between pregnancies in regards to education. Oh wow, that that sounds it just sounds so good because it's. I feel like that's how it should be. You know, you've got access to information. Yes, you can take on as much or as little as you want or as you need. Um, and obviously your need for information changes throughout your pregnancy. You know, maybe in the third trimester you want a lot more than you do in the second. Um, and that's and, – and you just – she meets you where you, you're at. So if you're not ready for info or you just can't take it on, then, you know, that's how it is. Whereas if you're actively asking for it, then she's got the resources, she's got the answers for you. That's it. Without making any decisions for you because, as she said, it's your body. She can't make decisions for you. She can tell you, she can give you her opinion. She can say, you know, we would recommend this or you could do this. But the final say is yours and that's beautiful. That's it. And she was very much wanting to make sure, she kept saying, Steph, the power is yours. Amazing. You are in charge of your body. You are in charge of your birth. Um, she's like, we're here to support you. Have your have your child. That That is our role here. It's not to tell you what, what you're doing mm-hmm, is right or mm-hmm, wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not to tell you anything. The only thing we're here to do is to ensure your health and the health of your child. And that was so healing to be yeah. like, oh, I've got this. Like This is my time. To mm-hmm. be that powerful mother that you that you envision yourself to be when you are going to go into labor and have your baby. Wow, that that's refreshing to hear. That just sounds so good. So, um, how was the weeks and days leading up to uh, River's birth? <laughs> um, interesting. I had I can't remember the term for it, but essentially fake, like false labor. Essentially, I can't remember oh. the term for it. Where we kept thinking I was going into labour for two weeks oh. <laughs> up, up until the day that I had, up until the day oh. I had him. So I had River at exactly 42 weeks. It was oh, on a Thursday. Nice. Um, and I remember like freaking out to Trish. I was like, I can't go past 40 weeks. And she was like, why? <laughs> Your body will tell you when, when you're ready. She's like, if you reach like 43 weeks, maybe we'll just check everything's okay. Mm-hmm. She's like, but people have give birth all over the world at different times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like there were day, there was days where I was like, today's the day. I'm like in so much like in like in pain, like you know what I mean. Like when you're oh. in labor, yeah. I was like, you know, it feels like everything's happening. And she'd be like, okay, well, has you know, have you has your mucus plug happened? Like, has this happened? Have you have you had waters? Have you had these sensations? Um, and there were certain things that had happened and certain things that hadn't. And I was like, oh well, no, that hasn't happened mm-hmm. yet. And she was like, right, well, let's just see. How the hell you go, how the day progresses. Um, 
the one thing she told me that was helpful, she's like, do not track your contractions. Mm-hmm. She's like, until we know for sure you're in labor, there is no point. You are going to cause mm-hmm. yourself anxiety okay. and then potentially stall anything that is happening. And that was just mm-hmm. mostly because of my, my mental health and things. Yeah, and she knew um, you. Yeah. Yes. And she was also like she's trauma-informed. So she's done training to make sure that if she has to work with any mothers who have mental health, who have additional needs or anything like that, that she's mm-hmm. able to step up and support them to the best of her ability. Amazing. Um, which is just amazing. And so, yeah, I remember being like, it's happening today. It's not happening today. Oh. And then, like, there were certain times that it got to my due date. So the 20, uh, what, was, what was my due date? 20, <laughs> sorry, 22nd of, um, of August was my original, and then we realised it was actually 25th. But um, Luke was home for that day because I was like, I'm in labour. Like, this is what this feels like. I've read all the books. I've listened to all the podcasts, all the audio books. Like, this is – I've watched all the movies, <laughs> all, all the documentaries. This is the signs. And, it, like, we were like, yep, cool, this is happening. We won't ring Trish until we're certain this is happening. Yep. And Serena stayed home from school, got to about 2 o'clock, and it all fizzled out. And I was like, no, what do you mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is meant to happen today. Like, what's happening? And, yeah, that oh. happened for two weeks. And so what <gasps> happened is that um, I, on the 7th, technically the 8th, actually, but, yeah, at 3 a.m. on the 8th um, of September, I woke up and I was like, oh, when you go to the loo. Um, and I'd, that, that evening I'd said to Luke, I need darkness. Didn't know what it was. I'm like, I just need to be in the room. I don't want noise. I don't want anything. I just want the dark. I need to be in the dark under the blanket and just pretend I'm not here. And he was like, yep, cool. Trish has told me this is a thing that pregnant women do sometimes. They need to find, you know, dark, small space sometimes to feel safe. I'll leave you to it. So I woke up and it's pitch black. And I've gone to get out of the room and I couldn't find the door handle. I couldn't find the light. And then my waters broke. And so Luke woke up to me just sobbing because I was wet and I was in the dark. I didn't know what was happening. And I was half asleep. And he was like, oh, darling, okay. <laughs> he's like, let's just – he's like, we won't call Trish yet, but we'll just keep an eye out because I think your waters have broken. That's what this looks like. <laughs> Go for a shower and relax. It's okay. And so – had a shower, came back to bed, slept until like 8 o'clock and mm-hmm. we brought Serena into the bedroom and said, we think it's happening officially today. Mm-hmm. We think that mummy's, we think mummy's in labour. She was like, awesome. Okay, what do we need to do? We'd already set up the birth pool. Like there was no water in it, but like it had been pumped up. Yeah. Um, you know, we had all the affirmations on the wall. The fairy lights were up. The candles were there ready. You know, like the space was ready. And she's like, I'll make sure that I haven't left any shoes in the lounge room. <laughs> like, she was ready. <laughs> and it got to about 10 o'clock and we were like, oh, look, the sensations aren't intensifying yet. Mm-hmm. And so we gave her the option, do you want to go to school? Because I think there was book week from memory. Oh, yeah. And so, well, do, you want, do you want to go to school and do all the activities? Um, and if anything happens, we will come and get you. Like, dad mm-hmm. will race over and come, and come and get you. And she was like, yep, cool. So I... Slept for the majority of the day, rang Trish, and I was like, look, I think my water's broken, um, and I'm not feeling any difference in movements in a negative way. I'm just feeling mm-hmm. different movements. And mm-hmm. like I said, I had an experience early labor with my daughter because the hospital mm-hmm. said, come up at 8 o'clock. I had a piece of toast, had 
went up there, had all the interventions and then had a baby. So I had <laughs> none of this uncertainty of like, is this a contraction? Like mm-hmm. any of that. And so Trish went, look, go for us. Like I'd had a um, ultrasound booked for that day mm-hmm. because the hospital was saying we need a scan. And being 42 weeks, she's like, let's just shut them up and, put, and like send you for a scan. So <laughs> went to that scan and I was like, I'm definitely in labor. I can barely walk. The mm-hmm. poor man who was, his name was Neil, the man who was doing my ultrasound. He felt so bad because he's like, I'm sorry, I have to just check everything because my placenta early in the pregnancy had been covering um, down the bottom. Yeah. And so they covering were like. Covering the cervix, yeah. That's, yeah, that's the word. I'm sorry, I forgot the word. <laughs> um, and then thankfully, like, it all moved up and it was fine, but then he just wanted yeah. to, they just wanted to double check everything was safe and yeah. in the right spot. And he had, and it took probably an extra ten minutes to try and get through this poor ultrasound. Like I'm just lying there, like <sighs> I don't know what I'm feeling, but I'm not comfortable. And the man was like, "Is there anything I could? Do you want a drink of water?" Like I had to stand up at one stage and just lean on the wall to like oh. try and get my breath because I was like, "I can't feel my back. I need to be moving." Yeah. And so he's like, mm-hmm. "If you stand where you are, I can actually get to where I need to on the side." <laughs> I'll never forget him. His name was Neil. He was. A wonderful man, just just oh, amazing. He even walked me down to the car because he was like, I could not walk. I was like, it's happening. <laughs> so we left left the ultrasound, driving to my daughter's school. I'm in the car, just like in the zone of I think this is labor. I'm just keeping things peaceful and happy, and mm-hmm. we're listening to like tunes and singing along to the radio. Yeah, got my daughter, and I said to her, "Mum's having this baby." I am mm-hmm. having this baby today. Mm-hmm. Come hell or high water, this is happening. <laughs> and she was like, awesome. Okay, cool. Like, is it still okay if I like, am part of it? And I was like, yep, awesome. Our, our original plan was she wanted to be in the water with me mm-hmm. until it came time to pushing. Okay. And then she was yeah. like, I'm out of there. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't want to see any of that, I don't think. And I mm-hmm. said to her, if you want to stay for the whole thing, you can. If you don't, I'm not going to force you to stay. Yeah. I'm not going to make anyone look at that. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're eight. That might not be something something you want to see. Um, and yeah, it's a ten minute drive home from Serena's school, and we have to go around a lot of corners. Ooh. And I remember I was saying to there was one last corner before we got home, and I said to Luke, "No more corners. <laughs> I do not want any more corners." you need to like and he's like sweetheart we live on a curve there's going to be one last corner I can't I physically can't make it go straight without driving through houses I'm so sorry (laughs) so we got upstairs I was on the birth ball and Luke's like I'm just going to go make sure we have all the towels ready and everything Mm -hmm. do you want to call Trish and so Serena actually called Trish for me and I was having a contraction, and Serena's like, "Hi, Trish, it's Serena. <laughs> I think Mum's gonna have the baby." And then she was, because of all the weeks leading up with stop and start, she was like, "Oh yeah, like, can you put the phone near Mum and I listen to her breathing?" And she went, "Oh, okay. I'm gonna get dressed and pop over because it sounds like Mum's gonna have this baby." <laughs> and yeah, that was at four thirty, and then I was like, "Yep, it's starting," and I had my son by seven. that was it it was like yep this is labor Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but let's get started (laughs) so i was only in the water for an hour and a half wow i mean you had pre-labor for like two weeks so really at this point i was prime yep (laughs) yeah so i mean labor at this point could could only just go for a short time really because because you've done the hard work before wow that's it 
Um, but I was really, I was really lucky in the sense that Trish and Luke like, were making sure the, the water was the right temperature. Yeah. I was in the bedroom with Serena, and we were just rocking together to music and singing wow. together. And sh- we'd given Serena a list of affirmations that yeah. the Trish had given us. There's so things like, I trust my body, I trust my baby. I am yeah. safe, Yeah, those sort of things. And so Serena had chosen three or four that she thought were the best. Yeah. And so she was saying them to me and we were just in in the dark, in my room, just kind of rocking together and just having a really peaceful, like it wasn't comfortable, yeah. but I wasn't like necessarily in pain, I think, because I was just so zen. Yeah. And it was such a bonding experience for Serena being like, oh, this is what labor is. Yeah. Labor is you might be screaming because you're in pain mm-hmm. the whole time or you might be chill up until the point. Yeah. And so she got in the pool with me and she was helping Trish with the mirror to like check mm-hmm. like, you know, is, is your brother coming yet? Um, you know, how is mum feeling? Yeah. You know, help pour water on my back. Um, Luke was outside of the pool just holding my hands because I was rocking on my hands and knees mm-hmm. um, yeah. and kind of just not there. I was off with the fairies. I was in such like a – it honestly felt like I said to Luke after I'd given birth that I was like, there must have been 10 minutes between contractions. And he was like, no, you were in the water for like an hour, hour and a half at maximum. He's like, wow. you were pretty much, we got in there going and going. He's like, but you were just in such a state of your body. You were trusting your body and you knew what was happening that mm-hmm. it wasn't scary necessarily, I think. But and Serena had been prepared. We'd watched yeah. videos and podcasts and stuff for her mm-hmm. about the different sounds that can happen in labour. Yeah. So some women might make no sounds. Some women might scream and be at the top of their lungs and just be losing it, and that's okay. Other people deal with their body and their experiences differently. And so I'd said to her, I remember yelling in her labour. And I had an epidural and couldn't really feel anything. So I said to her, like, be prepared. I do not know what noise is going to come out of mummy's mouth. She was like, yep, okay, cool. Righto. If you yell, I'll just tell you your affirmations. And I was like, fabulous, you sweetheart. <laughs> like, you are perfect in every way. And wow. um, I yelled twice, um, you know, in that transition stage where you're like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. And that one moment of doubt crept in and I was like, maybe I should be in a hospital because mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And Trish said to me, you know your body. Mm-hmm. You have trained yourself for this. You know your body. Women instinctively know what to do and they all freak out at some point and then they just mm-hmm. get down to business. You will be okay. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, no, nope. <laughs> I don't think I can. And she was like, Serena's in the pool with you. She's ready. And that was enough for me to go, oh, I need to stop freaking out. I know what I'm doing. And also what I'm doing is normalizing birth for my daughter. Definitely. Labor is not, not this scary thing. Like it's scary in the sense that there's things that happen and it's an adventure, but mm-hmm. bringing life into the world shouldn't be this really scary thing that no one talks about in this taboo mm-hmm. and that children shouldn't mm-hmm. be a part of. And so, I, yeah, River started crowning and Trish had gotten Serena to place the mirror. Mm-hmm. And Trish actually said, I think that's your brother's head. I think your brother's on the way. 
And so, you know, I got to feel his hair. And I was like, oh, my God, it's happening. <laughs> He's coming. And so Serena was like, mum, you can do this. And so, you know, I was just surrounded by the fairy lights. And the, it was actually it started storming. So it was storming while I was in the water. Um, yeah, so just listening to the rain. And we had a playlist playing with, like, songs that Serena and I had chosen together. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, when, like, River's when he when he first like his head first came out, he actually opened his eyes and looked at Serena, like in the mirror. So they actually made a little eye contact as he was like being born. So Serena has this memory of not only wow. was she there for the whole experience, but the first person that he saw was was her. Oh, so that is so special. Yeah, he came out and like I think may, may maybe two pushes later, picked him up and grabbed him and. Serena helped me hold him in the water. So it was just this. I can't even describe the difference in being able to have that skin to skin, for starters, Mm -hmm, like holding mm -hmm. him on my chest. But having Serena there, like obviously my part, like Luke Luke was there and he was a part of everything. Of course. But it's different being that, being able to share that moment with my daughter and saying like, you know, this this is your brother. And you've helped every single step of the way. Um, So I'm a bit emotional by it. (laughs) No, of (laughs) course, of course. Wow. And so the bond that they have is is, is incredible. Yeah, wow. That is is so beautiful. And and as you said, um, this was something that I I was going to mention and you touched on it before. The birth education you've given Serena because you've you've explained like you and Trish and obviously Luke as well you've explained to her in terms that she can understand that makes sense to her what birth is and what what is going to happen and you've prepared her for you know nine months and then she you know you've obviously given her space to be present or not and do the things that she feels comfortable with um yeah and then for her to you know be be comfortable be in the pool with you and and witness you and and give you you know like such power because she may not realize that but she's given you probably strength back when she said mom you can do it yes and you think, yeah of course I Recenter can Recenter yourself yeah yeah wow that's amazing and so now she can know that birth doesn't have to be scary it can look different to the movies um and I can yep. do it on my own terms. I can do it, you know, yes, you might have screamed during her labor, but then during River's labor, you you didn't. So two births yep. can look very different. Um, yep. and, and this is what you can do in your labor. You can have affirmations. You can be in the pool. You can be on the ball. You can listen to music. Yep. And, and that's just so beautiful. Wow, what a, what a special yep. gift you've, you've given her. That that's incredible, but like I think that's what I say to people when like I've spoken to a few people who've been like, oh, well, you know, they would love to have another child, but there's that yeah. big age gap. Yeah, and I've said that you know, if I if she was four, it might be a bit different because obviously yeah. that's a whole different level of emotional understanding and, and, and intelligence there. But being that we followed her lead, like what did that's she feel right. comfortable doing? What does she want? Yeah. What did she want to learn? Yeah. Um. And, you know, like, what do, did she feel comfortable doing? So she'd already discussed with Trish, for example, cutting the uh, cutting the cord. So that was Serena's job. Amazing. Um, you know, she did all the steps that, like, 
stereotypically your birth partner does. Um, So, you know, like the cutting of the cord or um, helping, like, you know, hold bub with, like, while mum does whatever. Um, So I went for a shower for five minutes. Like, I say five minutes, it would have been like a minute. Um, Just to, you know, you're in a birth pool, so just to help make sure you're a bit bit clean. Um, Mm -hmm. And he fell asleep on her. And so she's no. the first person to have gotten him to sleep. So no. the bond that they have because she yeah. was able to have those opportunities, not yeah. that someone whose child is older and doesn't want to participate wouldn't have those opportunities, but just that she's had the opportunity to do those things. And so yeah. she knows that it's okay mm-hmm. for if she, if she wants children in the future. She said that she doesn't know if she wants kids yet. Yeah. Um. And I'm like, that's fine, you're eight. <laughs> yep, that's um, perfectly okay. I'm like, please think about it for a few more years. Um, yep. You know, that she was like, it's okay yep. uh, if I want to do it at the hospital or if I want to do it at yep. home or yep. mm-hmm. whatever else because she knows that these things happen. Yep. Um, and then she was able to, yeah, she talks about it to anybody who will listen, that she's she feels powerful that she was able to be part of that experience. Yep. And that is and so it, powerful. And it, yeah. And it really has healed for Luke and I. Oh, Her birth. It's yeah. given back that power of, as a woman, you can trust your body. Yeah. You can trust that your body is capable of doing things, that your mind is capable of doing things, mm-hmm. and that it really does come down to if you trust your body and yeah. you trust your baby, mm-hmm. that miracles happen. Good things happen. Wow. Oh, that is so beautiful. <laughs> that is, and I'm so happy for you that it was healing and that it Thank gave you. you your power back because it was taken away from you. And yeah, the fact that you got it, you know, you took it back. You know, it wasn't given back to you. Yes. You took it back. You took charge of this birth and you had a voice the whole time. And, and Trish was there to facilitate it, not to give it to you. And that's beautiful. Yes, and then, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Very lucky. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So how how is um this postpartum journey going with River? Amazing, really. Oh, um great. I like we we've tried doing the the 40, 40 days or the, the golden forty yeah. or whatever it's called. So yeah. staying at home for as long as possible, not having as many visitors. Um obviously yeah. the grandparents came and met Bub and we've had a few people meet him. Um yeah. but not rushing to have our space mm-hmm. or our time interrupted yeah. and being able to spend as much quality time just being a, a new family. Oh, amazing. So, it's been great. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. Wow, wow. And I'm in awe of your story. It's it's just it's so beautiful and it's so it just it's empowering and it's yeah, and the the gift you've given to Serena to be able to just go, this is what birth is like. It's it's amazing. Wow. <laughs> I'm you. just <laughs> Yeah, I'm just thinking about it and I'm like, wow, that's that's dreamy, really. Wow. That's what yeah. dreams are made of. <laughs> I think it's just good knowing that, you know, obviously I'm biased because I'm like, it's amazing. Like this is just such an amazing story. But knowing that the other women I've spoken to who have other children who are now going maybe like my son or my daughter or you know my child can be a part of this experience <laughs> and knowing you're not you're not going to traumatize them you know you just yeah. put them in 
put it in terms they understand, put them in, yeah. give them opportunities for mm-hmm. those and then, yeah, yeah have those experiences yeah. together. Yeah, and, you know, you you would know your child better than anyone else. So you you know how they may or may not react and you you know, you know, and you, as you said with Serena, you've given her the opportunity to be there or not. She had the option. She didn't have to stay. She chose to be there and she was comfortable being there probably because you had prepared her really well. But obviously when I say you, I mean you and Luke um, and, and Trish as well. And she was... She knew what was happening. She was part of the process. She knew what to do. And she obviously felt really comfortable being in this space and watching her brother come into the world. And, um, yeah, and, I mean, it is doable. You've just got to meet your child where they're at. And, no, for example, you said Serena is more, you know, is more sensitive, so you've adjusted to that. Um, And, you know, another eight-year-old, obviously might be really different so you talk in a different way or you do things differently and you just meet the child where they're at and and do things accordingly so yeah so grateful for your story it's it's amazing I've wow it's it's been such a you've you've told it in such a beautiful way and I'm sure the listeners will really like there's a lot of messages you've you've sent that are just so powerful and being able to give this insight into what it's like to have a baby when you have an older child who is, you know, school age and, you know, eight years old in this case is invaluable because, as you said, it's not that common. It's obviously not rare, but yes. it's, yeah. there is probably less information around and that's a beautiful um, testimonial and Thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast and giving me almost two hours of your time. (laughs) Thank you for listening to me ramble. (laughs) I've loved every second of it. I I could ask for more, but I know at some point you have to get back to your mama. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to get notified of when a new episode comes out, please subscribe to this show on your podcast listening platform. Also, I would really appreciate it if you could leave me a review on Apple Podcast or share this episode so that other mom can find it. If you would like to tell your own pregnancy, birth or parenting story, please head to the show notes and you will find a form there to get in touch with me. Again, thank you so much for listening and I will be with you again next week for a new episode.